Father, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for this privilege to spend time in your word, to spend time in song, in prayer, in giving, and in fellowship. We pray that our time would honor you, that we would be reflective of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in our every way uh, as we yield to the Spirit. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're all familiar with the horrific scene that took place this past week in Florida. And from that horrific scene uh, comes a story of heroism. You may have heard of the assistant football coach, Aaron Feiss, who is said to have acted as a human shield, protecting students from the shooter. It demonstrates an overwhelming degree of care for the life of someone else. In that moment of terror, many would run for their lives. This comes naturally, and it's understandable. But in that moment, Aaron Feiss saw vulnerable students and decided to act and took the bullets for them and gave his life. It was a split-second decision. God has called us as a church, He has called the church, to lay down our lives for one another. But in a different way, even, than taking a bullet. The laying down of our lives for one another is a perpetual, continuous activity. It's as we set aside our own desires for the betterment of others. It is as we humble ourselves and seek the good of others. Our lives have been united together in body, soul, and spirit. And Paul tells us that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is how God has orchestrated His church, that our emotions, that our affections would be bound together. This concept is illustrated, this concept of a binding of our emotions, a binding of our affections, this laying down our lives for one another, it is illustrated very well in Philippians chapter 2 by the illustration of Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus. Last week we noted that a casual association with the church of Jesus Christ does not allow us to fulfill our ultimate purpose during this life. A casual association with the church of Jesus Christ does not allow us to fulfill our ultimate purpose in this life. We we have to be connected to one another. We don't save one another, and we don't sanctify one another. However, we are means whereby God uses the gospel and ministry to make an impact in one another's lives. So this morning, as we look through Philippians 2, again, as we continue what we started last week, we must see the binding of our affections through proper gospel ministry, and uh, to put it in the context of our series, a gospel culture must bind our affections together. Let's take a look at the passage. We'll start in verse 19, read right to the end of the chapter, and then we'll try to pick up where we left off. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I I trust in the Lord that I shortly, or that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We noted last time how gospel culture dictates that we must have a desire to be together. We see that illustrated in this text. First of all, Paul wanted to send Timothy to the Philippians because he wanted to know of their welfare. He wanted to know how they were doing in the things of the Lord. His concern for them was so much that he wanted to send someone very close to him who was a minister to his soul and his needs in prison so he would find out how they were doing. This is, there's something about this affection for one another. He also said, when I find out how it goes with me, I'll send him. And then I too uh, desire to come shortly. I, I want to come and, and see you. And in addition to that, he says, I want to send you Epaphroditus. There is something about the people of God wanting to be together, needing to be together. Christianity is not a one-man show. Christianity is not about you and your own little spherical or, or, or small relationship with God isolated. Christianity is about a relationship that we have through God, through Christ that is a shared relationship amongst God's people, and then hopefully broadcast to a people who need the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not so personal as we sometimes want to make it. It is very public. You realize that our conversion is to be public, which is why it says not only do we believe in our heart, but we also confess with our mouth. There's a reason for baptism. Baptism pictures something. You want the whole world to know, as many as as can know, that I was buried with Christ and I've been raised in newness of life through Christ. This is all to proclaim our very public relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we should care for one another's well-being. In verse 19, it says, "I, I want to be cheered by news of you. When when Timothy goes, I'll be cheered. He spoke about being um, uh, well-sold or having a, a soul in good condition. 
And then in the next verse, in verse 20, he talked about the fact that Timothy was one who had a, a same soul, a like soul to me. He will naturally or genuinely be concerned for you. So there's a concern for them, and there's a, a proper response to hearing good news about others. Verse 20, it says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare or your good. Timothy's concern for them reached the level of concern one has in the midst of distress. You'll remember we looked at a number of passages where the same word was used, where there was a lot of anxiety about, about whether we were going to have food the next day. It, it's a serious thing. And, and Timothy's concern for them was that they would have the gospel rightly ordered, understood, embraced, and then demonstrated in their lives. This is Paul's goal. It's Timothy's goal. There was a concern for their well-being. Verse 21, for they uh, for all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now we, we saw that back in chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, right? That was already proclaimed that it is important for you and I to have more interest than our own what's going on in our own little lives. It's, it's so easy to get bound up, right? We know what our sleep patterns are and how broken they are. We know the aches and pains that we have. We know the financial challenges that we might have or the, the social issues that might go on from person to person. We're very well acquainted with all of our own problems. But there's something beyond that. What about the problems, the, the challenges, the anxieties, the stre- stresses of others? Well, we're called to that kind of a, a mindset and, and Timothy demonstrates it. He is of like soul to Paul who is well-sold when he finds out you're doing well. This is, this is good. Then, he speaks of his relationship with Timothy as a son with a father. We discussed that the last time. There's something more to their relationship than co-workers. There's something more than fellow parishioners. Right? There's, there's something about a, a real union. So much so that Paul viewed Timothy as a son, and Timothy viewed Paul as a, as a father. There's this relationship there. It's important, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that we not just have a casual relationship with the people God has called us to serve side by side with. There, there needs to be a binding, a meshing of our lives and affections. So that we are genuinely sorrowful when someone is sorrowing. And we're genuinely rejoicing when someone else is rejoicing. This is a supernatural impact. It's what happens when God unites people. We can't manufacture it. But I can also tell you this, we should not settle for less than this. If you settle for less than this, you are cutting yourself short and you're cutting others short. Then he introduces Epaphroditus. Now they know him. They know Epaphroditus. But I'm fascinated by how Paul speaks of him in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. That's good. It's good to recognize someone as a brother where we have this relationship, right? But he goes on and he says, and my fellow worker. That's good. Okay, we work together. 
And then he says, fellow soldier, we're on the front line together. I'll lay down my life for him. He'll lay down his life for me. We're, we're, we're part of something greater than our own sphere of influence. It's, it's, it's beyond our own lives. It's a great influence. So he's a fellow soldier. Then he says, your messenger, you sent, you sent aid to me and minister to my need. One who came alongside and ministered to what I needed. I was, I was in distress. I was in uh, difficulty. And Epaphroditus came along and he ministered to me. And I want to send him back to you. This is, this is what's going on. Verse 26. Why am I sending him back? For he has been longing for you all. And has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Let's think about this for just a couple of moments. He's been longing for you. Paul's already used the same word in Philippians. Take a look back in chapter 1 in verse 8. Philippians 1 in verse 8, where he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ or of Christ Jesus. So there's this passion for them. Paul has a passion for the church of Philippi, and it comes out of the affections that belong to Christ. So we can say this is spirit-filled affection, right? Well, here Epaphroditus has this same kind of affection for the church of Philippi. I, he's longing for you. He has this affection that comes from Jesus Christ for you all. We're not talking about the Elks Club. We're not talking about being in a bowling league or co-workers down at the local restaurant. We're talking about something far greater. We're talking about being on mission together and God taking two people so different in, in intellect, different in emotion, different in experience, different in personality, and bringing them together, meshing them for the glory of His name. This is what God talks about uh, through Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 where God takes Jews and Gentiles formerly at enmity and he binds them together into one body, that is the church. This is, this is good news. Only God can produce this. And we should not, we cannot settle for anything less. If you have very little affection for the people nearby you in the local church, something is off in your thinking. You're not rightly connected to the church that God has called you to. And so, what do you do? Manufacture it? No, that's, that, that will be fake. Day in and day out, Lord, my affections are not bound up with those to whom you've called me to. Something is out of order. Will you please aliven within me an affection for people? Help me not to see the things that irritate me about them. Help me not to see the things that, that make us feel distant, but to see those things that draw us near. And to remember that it is with, with this individual that it will spend in eternity. There are many people in your life that you probably love very well that you might not spend eternity with. And you find it very easy to, to bridge the gap of your differences because you... You love them. 
That's a natural affection. What we're looking for is a supernatural affection that, that does something even greater than that in the local church. And so if we don't have that same loving affection for one another, we want to ask God to produce it within us. Paul and Timothy had this kind of a, an affection for one another. In 2 Timothy 1.4, Paul writes, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. That's, that, that's Paul talking to Timothy. He left him, remember, at Ephesus to minister to the church as an apostolic representative. And so they were separated, and he had this longing to see him. That's pretty special. You have people that you long to see. God produces this kind of relationship among his people. And it's the problem we can sometimes have is we can circumvent it. Our flesh doesn't easily yield itself. The remnants of our flesh cling to us, trying to control us and reminding us about us. Will this relationship benefit me the way that I'm seeking? Will I get something out of it? If I don't see the the gain in this relationship, it's very easy to start to cut it off. I'll find a relationship that will give me gain. That's, that's not the kind of Christianity that, that we've been called to. It's something different. So, so Epaphroditus had this longing, this yearning for the people of the, of the church of Philippi. And I think we see that this, this talks about our emotions being bound, that we have a care for one another's well-being. It says then in, at the end of verse 26, he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The word distressed is the same word used in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and verse 37 where it says that Jesus was deeply distressed. Now why was he deeply distressed? Because he knew he was about to be the sin bearer. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, not Jesus the man, but Jesus the Son of God is eternal in his being. So for eternity, he, he did not know or associate with sin. And he knew in the coming day, sin would not only be attributed to him, placed upon him, but he would become sin for us, even though he knew no sin. He knew that the Father was going to turn his back as he poured out his wrath upon him. He truly crushed his son. And he was deeply distressed. Same word here in Philippians. He's deeply distressed that you found out that he was ill. Have you met people like this? I have. I remember visiting with Joy Moran. Ladies in the hospital. Uh, Literally, on death's door. How is, and she starts naming all these people. I, I could tell you a number of different saints that I've known, believers in the Lord Jesus, that were sick. And that's, they, they don't want to talk about them. They want to talk about these people. Uh, just recently, just uh, as I've been visiting uh, Lynn Spirito, and she, they all knew how treacherous her situation is. They were saying goodbye 
in case the Lord wasn't willing to preserve her. She's asking me about my foot. It's like, I'm not here to talk about my foot. It's like, enough people ask me about my foot. Let's talk about you. <laughs> Let's talk about what you're going through. But that's the kind of spirit. When, when, when God's affections course through us, our concern is one another and less ourselves. Listen to, to how this would impact Paul. Paul was having... Having an, this situation was having an impact on Paul. Epaphroditus, this illness, was, was a trouble for him. Listen to what it says in verse 27. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. Well, that's good. And not only on him, but on me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So what's he talking about? Well, Either you're talking about, I would be so sorrowful that you can just stack it up because he would be dead. That would be a a sorrowing situation. Or you could say, there are two different things at play here, and it probably is that. The first sorrow is, my, my beloved brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, is now not here anymore. So that brings sorrow And I have this second sorrow because I had every intention of sending him to you so I could find out how things were going so I'm not any longer anxious about your well-being. Because that's what comes up next. I think it's that that he's talking about. Two different kinds of sorrows. First, a sorrow for him, and then a sorrow about not knowing what's going on with you. So Paul is is deeply distressed over Epaphroditus' distress, who is distressed that the Philippians are distressed, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. When you and I are so concerned about one another's needs and affections that we are distressed. That's what it means to weep with those who weep. And when things go well for you, when God opens a door for you, my heart can truly soar with yours. I I rejoice with you. Because we're, we're tethered together. We're tied together in body, soul, and spirit. We care about one another's well-being. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. Why would they rejoice? Why do you rejoice when you see someone? Because you like them or love them, right? It's like, Oh, I haven't seen you in so many years. And now we're together. Here's a hug. Here's a kiss. Everyone's happy. It's good because you miss them. Well, Epaphroditus had this kind of a relationship with the Philippian church. The Philippian church had that kind of a relationship with him. So this is good. Their their emotions, their affections are tied together. The end of verse 28, and that I may be less anxious. Why is he anxious? Well, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, that the peace of God that passes all understandings to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we know all of this, right? But we, because of our care for one another, it doesn't remove concern. What, what's happening? What, what's, what is the, the, the physical issue? What is the spiritual issue? We're, we're tied together so that there's a there's a, a responsiveness from the very core of our being when someone has a problem. We see their concern for one another's well-being. 
And then it says in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy. Now I'm just focusing right now on the joy, the the emotional aspect, the, the tying of our affections. He wants them to be joyous together as they have a reunion. So we notice that we should have a desire to be together and that we should have a concern for one another's well-being. Now as we look at it a little more closely and just a different angle, gospel culture that binds our affections together means and, and, and is declared by the fact that ministering to one another's needs is part of the work of Christ. Ministering to one another's needs is part of the work of Christ. So I want us to notice this. In verse 25, it says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and what? Minister to my need. Now look down at verse 30. It says, For he nearly died for what? The work of Christ. The ministering to, our, to the need is tied with the work of Christ. That is an important element that this passage is laying out for us. You know, we look at the work of Christ as someone stands behind the pulpit and proclaims the gospel, right? Or um, handing out a, a gospel tract. Now, all these things are the work of Christ. But also, the work of Christ is demonstrated and declared and enjoyed as we minister to one another's needs. So let's think about this for a couple of moments. There are physical needs and spiritual needs, right? Take a look with me at a couple of passages. James chapter 2. This is likely a familiar passage to you. Look what it says beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, a proclaimed faith, a said faith, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James makes it clear that our faith, the faith that we have in God, should have a tangible outworking in our care for one another. Take a look at 1 John chapter 3. Very familiar passage as well, and similarly tuned as James chapter 2. So we're in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. Also talking about meeting the needs, physical needs, of brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 16, By this we know, love, that He laid down His life for us. Will you read this next part with me? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Okay? He now applies what that means to lay down our lives. Because he's not actually saying, push them out of the way of the bus and you take the bus. That may be an application of it, but he has a more specific application of it. Verse 17, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children... Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so the work of Christ is demonstrated by meeting one another's needs. Look at chapter 4 now. Because James, excuse me, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continues this discussion of loving one another, and he makes a really strong challenge to us and application of it. 
Beginning in verse 20 of 1 John chapter 4. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, what does it say? He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, what does it say? Cannot love God, whom he has not seen? That's as strong as you get. He doesn't say might not. He said cannot. If you don't love your brother who is in your eyesight, he has a need. Can't shut up your bowels of compassion against him. Because if you do, you're only loving in word and in tongue and not in deed and in truth. If you don't love your brother who you can see, You cannot love God whom you have not seen. Verse 21, And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Ministering to one another's needs is part of the work of Christ. That's physical, right? We don't just have physical needs. Sometimes we see them. Sometimes we hear about them. And so we try to meet those needs. Then there's the spiritual needs. Take a look, please, with me at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. If you can turn to another passage as well. Also, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So Galatians 6 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In Galatians 6 and in verse 1, God's Word says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you also be, uh, you, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so he says, if, if there's a brother who is walking along, he uses a, kind of a word picture, and, and he, he trips. Well, we, I don't, we don't really think that people fall into sin, right? They slide into it. What happens is they, their focus is off of the Lord and on themselves. And as a result of that, that change of focus, we're very sensual. Now, when I say sensual, I don't mean necessarily promiscuous. We, we're attuned to our senses. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm cranky. I'm, I'm thirsting after something. I am needy. So now we've slid. And in that condition, out of fellowship with the Lord, in tune with my senses, it is very easy to sin and sin and sin some more. If any brother is overtaken, caught, tripped up in any transgression, you who are in the Spirit, he says spiritual, the word is pneumatikos, it means related to the Spirit. You who are in the Spirit... Restore such a one, but do so with this gentle, meek spirit because you recognize that you have slid. That there have been times where, where your eyes have come off of Christ and onto your own life, and you've become very sensitive to your senses. And there are times where you are overtaken in a fault. Remember yourself, lest you also be tempted. And then he says, Bear one another's burdens. He's talking about sin, right? 
Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Lift one another up when we are fallen. That's a spiritual need. This is part of the work of Christ. Take a look now at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You're already there. You've turned. Thank you. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, those who are not working hard, encourage the faint-hearted, they've become weary, they, they, they stopped because they were discouraged, Help the weak. I believe the word there is small-souled. Their soul is cut off. It's, 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 it's right here. And whenever we're just focused on ourselves, we are weak. Terribly weak. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Can you see that there are physical needs and spiritual needs and, and the, the work of Christ, for us to, to truly operate in the work of Christ, we must be looking to minister to one another's needs. That's not going to happen if we're just focused on ourselves. It's not going to happen if we're focused on our own little family. It's only going to happen as we are looking about amongst God's people. What, what, who, who is in need? And the, uh, the honest answer, raise your hand if you're not in need. We have an honest engine group. We're all in desperate need. Raise your hand if you are in need. That'd be me. All of us. Praise God. When I am weak, then He is strong. And sometimes, sometimes that strength is God. Yes, always God. But sometimes it's Him using people to bring forth that strength. He uses means. He uses people as that means at times. Take a look back in our passage in Philippians chapter 2. We're drawing toward the end of this passage. Chapter 2 is almost complete. Thus far we've noticed about a gospel culture and it's binding our affections together that we should desire to be together, that we should care for one another's well-being, that ministering to one another's needs is part of the work of Christ. And finally, we should respect kingdom workers. We should respect kingdom workers. Verse 29, please. It says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Receive him in the Lord. This is, it's an interesting word, this word receive him. And I want to read to you just two lines of a basically a, a word encyclopedia about what this word means and how it's used. It, it, there's a reason for this. Ready? Listen to what it says. This word received him. It is used for those who await God's kingdom. The gospel is that the Messiah has come and waiting is over. Secondly, it is also used for Christian expectation of the resurrection, eternal glory, and for Christ's mercy in judgment, Jesus tells his disciples to be as those who wait for their master. So the word receive him has this, this kind of eschatological, end times concept that the kingdom is coming. And, and there, when it comes, how will we receive it? With great joy in our hearts. There's, the resurrection is coming. We're, we're so confident that we don't sorrow as others who have no hope when a, a loved one who knows Christ 
passes away or goes to be with the Lord because we know someday we'll see them again. And we have this anticipation of, of this reunion, this resurrection. That's the kind of idea that is, that is here. And he says, when Epaphroditus comes, receive him with that kind of joy. He's a minister of Christ to me, for you, and to you. This is good news. And he says, honor such men. Honor such men. Honor people that have given themselves fully to the Lord. We're not going to turn there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verses 17 and 18, it talks about how we deal with the elders in the assembly. That we're to treat them well, to exercise or, or give them double honor. And, and the, the idea is either a double helping or an honor in one way of a respect for their position and how God is using them and a respect in their remuneration, their pay, by taking care of them. Can, can you see it either a, a compound of one or just both ways? I'd say it's probably a respect for God's working through them and a respect by caring for their physical needs. Honor such men is what he says. You, you should recognize the value of the Epaphroditus of the world. Have you become weary of dealing with people? Have you been burned one too many times? Have you isolated yourself to just a few people? If so, you are cutting yourself off from a vital part of God's design for your life. It is a short-term gain and a long-term loss. God has called us into a community of believers. And the call from this passage that we recognize is to seek God's grace to bind our affections together. This is why God's Word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. God is calling for you and I to open our hearts to one another. So I want, as we conclude our look at this, I want for us to turn to one last passage. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's a remarkable passage of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is obviously dealing with the Corinthians and he's trying to encourage them and challenge them to serve the Lord and to care for others. He speaks about his ministry in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 6 and he recognizes the gravity of his ministry. And I hope that you and I can can share in the gravity of this statement. Look what it says in verse 1. Working together with Him. Well, if your Bible were a Bible that capitalizes pronouns, which mine is not, if you have a New King James, it capitalizes pronouns. So that will be a capital H. So it would be very obvious that he's saying, as a worker together with God. That's a little bit of a breathtaking statement. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, as God pours out his grace in your life, don't say, all right. God's grace impacts us. And it impacts us very much in line with what we've been talking about this morning, about caring about one another, about seeing one another's physical needs and trying to meet them, 
about seeing one another's spiritual needs and trying to lift one another up. Look at what he says down in verses 11, 12, and 13. He uses a, an image. He says, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. In other words, you're not narrowed off in your affections because of us, because of what we've done. But you are restricted in your own affections. In return for us having our heart wide open, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. And I say to us, every day we get up and we have our breakfast We go about our day, make sure that we're clean and our houses are clean, and we we go to work so we can make sure that we pay our bills, and we eat our lunch, we eat our supper, we clean up at the end of the day, we do all the things we have to do. It's it's, it's a very, um, it's an unending task. We have to do it all the time, right? And in the process, we naturally, we start to close off because we have to care for these things and I have problems, and I care for my problems, and I want to deal with my problems. And we're closing off. And God, through Paul, is trying to encourage us to expose ourselves. Open yourself up that you would be a minister to others. Sometimes when you minister to others, your heart gets stepped on a few times. And that can hurt. And it produces a narrowing. But he says, we've opened ourselves, you open yourselves, widen your heart. I wanted to share with you, that I read this a, a long time ago from, from Kent Hughes. It's just He does a, a marvelous job of painting this picture. He writes, and it's a, a rather lengthy section, so strap in for a second. Enlarge your heart. Cultivate your heart. Discipline yourself for ministry, and you will enlarge your experience of pain. No one has ever cultivated a ministering heart and lived to tell a life of ease. Of course, the effects of these two kinds of hearts are drastically different. Little hearts, though safe and protected, never contribute anything. No one benefits from their restricted sympathies and vision. On the other hand, hearts that have embraced the disciplines of ministry, though they are vulnerable, are also hearts which possess the most joy and leave their heart print on the world. Cultivate deafness, and we will never hear discord, but neither will we hear the glorious strains of a great symphony. Cultivate blindness, and we will never see ugliness, but we will also never see the beauty of God's creation. Or to put it in terms of our common experience, never play baseball and you'll never strike out, But you also never hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded to win the game. Never climb a mountain, you'll never get banged up on the mountain's side. But you'll also never stand on an alpine peak exulting in the abundant natural beauty. Years ago, I experienced the grand reality of this principle. My wife Barbara informed me that she had received a call from our local youth soccer league with which my boys were signed up to play, notifying her that there were a shortage of coaches and that some boys would not have or some boys would have to be left out unless some fathers like me would take a team barbara indicated i might be interested my response was that i was too busy and that she would have to tell them so 
She replied that I could do it myself and that a call was coming that evening. I said, fine, no problem. The fateful call came during dinner with all my family as witnesses. As the caller explained the league's plight, I found myself nodding assent and committing myself to be the coach of the awesome Aztecs. The scripture wisely say, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? And that was the initial experience of my poor Aztecs. I did not know what a fullback was. The offsides rule remained an inscrutable uh, for most of the season, and we got clobbered in our first few games. Humbled and desperate, I checked out soccer films and spent some evenings late in uh, frenetic reading. I also recruited a retired Scotsman who had played professionally and persuaded another father to assist me. We discovered we had some good athletes, and we began to win. We did so well that we went on to the playoffs. And it was here that I had one of the greatest experiences of my life when we played Mrs. G's team in the opening round. Mrs. G was the founder of the league and a perennial winner. But, miracle of miracles, we were ahead, 1-0 at halftime. In the third quarter, Mrs. G's team tied it up, and the 1-1 tie held deep into the fourth quarter. Five minutes were left. Then three, then one, 30 seconds, 10, 2, and we scored just before time ran out. There was no describing the thrill of that moment. Never coach soccer, and you'll never know the... uh, ignominy of being the league doormat, but we'll never, uh, you will never know the thrill of beating Mrs. G either. Cultivate a small heart and live, uh, and life may be smooth sailing. Listen, this is, this is the point right here, so don't. Cultivate a small heart and life may be smooth sailing, but you will never know the heady wind of the Holy Spirit in your sails and the exhilaration of being used by God. Cultivate a small heart, and you will never be um, the heroic likes of Gilmore of Magnolia, and you will certainly never have the heart God desires for you. You know, it's easy to get stuck in our own world. God has much more for us. Much more. And in order to experience what we've been designed for, we have to come out of ourselves, look around at those in need, and by God's grace, be a vessel of ministry. That ministry is, in fact, the work of Christ. It is demonstrating now what Jesus Christ is all about, who laid down his life to bear our sin so that we would have life. We lay ourselves down We can't take someone's sin away. We point them to the one who can. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We pray that you'd help us not to narrow ourselves, but to expose ourselves. And we pray that you would bind our affections together. Help us, Father, to yield ourselves to you so that your spirit would fill us and control us and use us for your glory. The angels look on and are amazed. The world looks on and knows there's something different. We pray, Father, that as we love one another, the world would look on and see that we are followers of Jesus Christ, and that it would recognize that through him they can have life like we do by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.